With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Russ from My Hammers 11. Hope you are all safe and well. If you new channel, please consider subscribing, hitting the bell icons. You may do any time get new content on. As always, we'd like to thank our channel sponsors, Untuck It. Check them out in the description below. Today's guest, you'll see him on the West Ham way. He's about to sort out. He's got a quiz night tonight with them lot as well. So it's Dennis. How are we doing, Dennis? How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Not feeling too Christmassy, as I'm sure many people aren't right now. But look, we can provide good content for people. And uh, while people are stuck at home, you know, we have a bit of a captured audience compared to what you might do over Christmas. So uh, let's 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 get entertaining. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is, as you said, there's bugger all on the telly. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, Netflix, I remember when, when the first lockdown started, Netflix was like the godsend, wasn't it? Because it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, all these, there's all these, what, so much. And now I look at it. Yes, looked at it last night. It was like, there's nothing to watch on Netflix. There's literally nothing to watch. That's when now TV comes in with all the Sky Atlantic stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. my mum's my currently binge watching Tin Star at the minute. And I'm just like watching like, this isn't something that you would like, but okay. You know Fair it's enough. So true. So true. My wife, what did she watch? She watched, she binge watched, uh, binge watched. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, it didn't sound right when I just said it. Um, she binge watched, um, oh, what was it on Netflix? Uh, designated survivor of Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland. Yeah. And it's like, she's watching it going really into like the FBI and the city. And I was like, when have you ever been interested about this? I've tried <laughs> to get you in like, what's the, what's the one with, uh, with, uh, Claire Davis, uh, what's, um, Carrie Matthews. Um, ah, what's the, what's the series? It's been on for you. Yeah, Homeland. I've been trying to get into Homeland for like years, and she's like, "Nah, it's not for me." But she literally binge watched all of this like designated survivor with, with Kiva oh, Sutherland. I, mean, uh, I, I caved, I caved, and I finally watched Game of Thrones during lockdown. I, I still haven't. Honestly, I, I'm not going to be that guy. It for the first seven, well, first six seasons, some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Last yeah. two, they rush it. But I, what I hate is when people hype stuff. Because like people yeah. hype things to me, and I'm like, I watch like Breaking Bad. Everyone I work with, like, you've got to watch Breaking Bad. It is the greatest thing you're ever gonna see. I watched yeah. it. I was like, it's good, 
but it is nowhere near as good as you lot make out, mate. Yeah, true. Out, you know, so I'm not going to overhype it. But yeah, Game of Thrones is is, is worth the watch. I'd say. Uh, yeah. Quicker than I thought it was going to be, but mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, fi finally got through that and uh, finally caved in and watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I don't regret. Yeah. And that was there's some episodes of that where I was laughing the entire time. Yeah, like, start try, finish, I, I, was, I was chuckling, not like manically laughing, but just chuckling. Yeah, it's, it's it is as funny as people say it is. No, I might, well, might, might, might bust that one out. Yeah, no, I watched, I rewatched, rewatching The Office, American Office, and about I did it from <laughs> season season two because season one I didn't really like. Season one is basically the UK version but with American accents, but yeah. season two onwards was quite good. So I, I binge watched that. Um, then as soon as like it's just it's one of these things it's like i was literally flicking through it and i was like i've seen that i've seen that i've seen that i've seen that it's like oh and it's like so then you then you turn to youtube and that and we're here Hooray. well if you like the office mate if you haven't seen it recommend parks and recs parks and Rex. yeah i've seen yeah yeah i've got to say parks and recs is a very good series as well yeah that's very funny very funny because i like the series where you can get into it you know like well there's like you know a good 10 or so seasons isn't it otherwise you feel like you're really invested in the characters really a little bit in it you sort of, you, you know their characters in you know or, or this is how they're going to react you know in series seven and eight because you know what's going on where a lot of the UK ones finish like, you know, like Gavin and Stacey and will finish after a few series and yet you can't really, can't really get involved. Um, anyway, obviously this is a, it's, it's not a Netflix podcast. Maybe we should do. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's my next, my next series. Next, next Rusty reviews. reviews. It writes itself. Um, Rusty reviews. That's it. Done. Done. Welcome to Rusty. Anyway, we won't do that today. Um, we're talking about West Ham. And and obviously, you know, despite the fact Netflix uh, uh, sort of running seems to be running out of content, West Ham never run out of content. There's always something going on with West Ham. There's <laughs> something happening at West Ham. Always, and and we're playing all right. And we're all right. Oh, we're not bad. Not bad, not bad. Not bad. We, you know, if someone said to me, it's funny, my I keep, you know, if someone said to me like like a couple of days ago, oh yeah, if someone says to me I'll be seventh by Christmas, I'll be happy. If someone said I'll be tenth by Christmas, I'd still be oh, happy. 100%. After that Newcastle game, I was predicting a very terrible season and us not picking up points still Fulham. That's yeah. to eat my words a little bit. Yeah. But I don't mind being wrong when it's something like that, when it's a good wrong, when it's a oh, bad yeah, wrong. Yeah. I was saying I it last like night, it. I hate being right because I predicted 3 0 Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> And that's and it's it's the, it's only the second game we haven't scored in all season apparently, which is incredible. Only Mister Sky came up with that stat, and I was like, I like that. I'm going to keep in that one. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, it was annoying yesterday. Yeah, the, the Chelsea game was annoying, wasn't it? It was one of those games where you come out of it thinking, How have we lost that three nil? Uh, yeah, three nil flat at Chelsea, but yeah, equally, you know, it was it was quite avoidable, but. We're not here to analyze the game or me to repeat everything i said the other day no, so uh... exactly but you know it's 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 um it's, 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 there's a difference with west ham i think this season um i just i don't know what it is um it's just a bit it's, it's i don't know if it's optimism i'm not used to it being a west ham fan but it's a it's a feeling i've never felt before you know it's like it's it's not all doom and gloom no, um, no not <laughs> And therefore, if a three 0 Chelsea has ruined your three 0 or a solid defeat to Chelsea has come as a bit of a shock or shock to the system, yeah, you know, we must be doing stuff right. I mean, exactly, yeah, exactly. Some of the some of the players, some of the players in 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 my eleven are from bygone years, where a three 0 defeat to Chelsea is like, okay, well, that's an improvement on last year. <laughs> Let's see if we get it out two 0 next time, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. And at least it means, you know, there's, there's there's no games until after Christmas now to ruin our Christmas. So, you know, 
that's not too bad. But the Brighton game is going to be a huge game for us, I think, in terms of how things go. I, I, I still think we'll be we'll be safe by the end of January. I've said it. I've said it. I was I've said February. it. I, I'm st- sticking with February. February is when you need to. You, when we'll know how this season's gone and when you yeah, need to start I agree. sitting David Moyes down and talking about a contract. Yes. Before the Liverpool game, oh, we had a we had a sh- we had a talk in the morning on um, the writers' block, uh, or fans' view as it's called now. And people talk. It was like, should Moyes get a contract? And I was like, that that question has just infuriated me because we've mm. won, we've won two games of football and come back against Spurs. That's not deserving of a new contract no. one month into the season. Come on, let's review it in the middle. Yes, so. no, I agree. I agree. I agree. And it'll be interesting. Obviously, you know, when January comes, what happens uh, team wise, and you know. We'll see, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, you know, I I I don't I don't foresee us being in any real trouble this season. Now, I'll be honest. Touch wood. Yeah, I've said I mean, it. I've said it now. I've said it now. But yeah, a couple of big injuries could change that in the short could term. Do. I just think there's there's worse teams than us in the city. If, if we stay on this course for another month or so, you know late january mid-february even then let's say we pick up a big injury to rice fabianski or a bonner i don't mm. think it makes it's going to make enough difference in order for us to no. get relegated no um but come on let's not talk we talk about relegation we're in we're you know we've been hovering around europe the last few weeks let's not, exactly. let's not, that's, let's not that's what some again that's, when, 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 get back, when a few of the players in my team and you know when i wrote watching west ham that's what you talked about you didn't you don't talk we're not talking about it this year it's the one point in the, in in this in this time of uncertainty is that West Ham are, West Ham are, you know I wouldn't say flying because again I'm going to completely jinx it but we have not struggled for the first time um, yeah but only four defeats in the you know since the start of the season uh, that's pretty much unheard of even yeah. even last year at the Bolin and uh, Allardyce's last season we had more than four defeats coming into Christmas mm. so well isn't it the joint third best isn't it the joint best run beginning of Premier League history for us or something yeah, other I 13 games Man United it would have been our best ever start I think if yeah. we had beat Man United but then because we didn't beat Man United we lost and then drew with Palace we've taken we've fallen short of the um yeah. of the I think we're in line I think it's the same as the Billich season on, on points not necessarily on goal but on points and we've still a positive goal difference as well and as you said it's such a West Ham thing to think to think we're playing really you know we're in the top shoulders you know <laughs> we still we still like yeah well we're not going to get relegated rather than actually let's look forward and that is the trouble being a west ham fan is that we have always got this we've got this speed bump we know the speed bump's coming but we don't know when it's coming and so we're just preparing ourselves for the speed bump rather than enjoying the journey to get there quote david bowie the film is a saddening bore because we've seen it 10 times or more <laughs> <It's so true. laughs> we know what's coming <laughs> it's true ten, it's very true right so first question 10 minutes in is is why are you a west ham fan dennis what's what's, so, you know, what's the reason about it? it's a long winding story and uh, i do have a habit of doing a monologue but so growing up i, I didn't really get into football too much at a young age mm. i'd say it wasn't so much it was just something my dad watched i remember world cup 1998 i absolutely fell in love with football i fell in love with the dutch football team you know i love like that just just i, I don't really i didn't really know what exactly like i wasn't really appreciating the skills back then i yeah. i'll be honest with you i'm one of my most fate well, not infamous things i remember as a child to do with football was 
I kicked a football and it hit a plant pot. My mum had a go at me and I said, I can't control where the ball goes because I was that naive. This is when I was four or five. I was yeah. that naive. I didn't really understand football. I didn't watch it until until I was six years old in the 1998 World Cup. And then I started watching football. And obviously, naturally, like my dad was glad that I was into football. She started taking me to some Watford games. Yeah. I started, I'm from Watford and I used to, I started really getting into Watford and they got promoted to the Premier League that year, 98, 99. But I remember he was a Man United fan and he wanted me to be a Manchester United fan first and foremost. He did yeah. not want me to support Watford. And then, but then I started sort of watching and even though Man United won, I really liked the team they played against, which was West Ham. And so then I sort of fluctuated. Like I, like my dad took me to Watford games, but then I wouldn't really support them because my dad was telling me I wasn't allowed. They'll only let you down, he said. Which is good <laughs> foreshadowing for me becoming a West Ham fan. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, and then I sort of hopped I really like, like West Ham had that good finish. I love Paolo Di Canio. I was watching him on match of the day. You know, we had quite a fun free scoring season. And then the beginning of the 1992, sorry, 2000, 2001 season when we signed Davo Suker, I was grounded for a part of my mate's birthday party for my dad my dad had some form of bet on about west ham man united i can't remember what it was and what man united were cruising it two nil if you remember De Canio and suke scored two late equalizers yeah and my dad was angry and i was there just like yeah and i think that i i pinpoint that as the moment that i fully became a west ham fan because of you know, a bit of get your own back at your dad yeah and, dad. you know then onwards, I just supported West Ham and Paolo Di Canio was my hero. Um, I had the 99-2000 video bought for me at Christmas and wore that, wore that video out to the point where, <laughs> the point where there'd be moments where it'd go fuzzy from where I've stopped it and then started watching it again as a child. Um, he still, My dad still wanted to be a Man United fan, but I think he realised I was lost. And I think the logic was, well, at least he's not, he's supporting a Premier League football team. Well, but, but in later years, people tell me, oh, you shouldn't support your local team, you should support Watford. But... And I had the choice of West Ham because I've got West Ham family, uh, you know, all members of my family, extended members of my family that are West Ham fans. Sure. So the options in my family really are uh, Chelsea, West Ham and Man United. And for some absolutely bizarre reason, my cousin supports Wolves. For, look, there is no logic behind it, but he supports Wolves. Um, someone asked me, what did he go to university? And I'm like, no, he, he just supports Wolves. He supported them since the late 90s. No one knows why. <laughs> they weren't even doing well just he supports them so, fair enough. so that's the long winding ambiguous story to be a West Ham fan sort of fell into it through the fact that I wanted to support my local football team because I, I was five or six daddy wouldn't let me and uh and then uh, sort of as a retribution I supported the team that cost him money but I, I quite liked them anyway so that's how I just came into it and then roll on two years I could name everything like, everything to do with West Ham football club I was like fanatical about it yeah um and uh and yeah and here i am now so yeah yeah exactly and, and that's that's the thing isn't it it's, it's funny a lot you know it doesn't matter how people get there um when they do get there they're they're in aren't they it's not like a it's not like something where they they dip their toe in and they don't fancy the water um everyone once once you're in you're in it seems with west ham it's, 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 it's like I remember my, someone asked me i think it was my aunt or something when they got relegated so you're going to stop supporting them now and i'm like no even no. at the age of 11 it doesn't work like that you don't change teams um because okay. like i remember that was the first season of um my first ever game uh first game uh a west ham game was chelsea at home in 2003 when mm. canio came on and scored 
Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, I was the op- opposite end of the pitch, uh, so I didn't really get to see a lot of it. I was only I was only ten, <laughs> but I could say that my first game was Chelsea at home, two thousand two, two thousand three season. De Canio's last game of the last game of the season, quite quite yeah. far up. Uh, so uh, I could, could I could see De Canio doing the lap of honour, but I was nowhere near him. <laughs> and I genuinely believe we were going to stay up after that, and, uh, and then. Well, then Birmingham, then Bolton, Spurs fielded a weakened team against Bolton and they won 1-0. And then yeah. that, that started my lifelong absolute hatred, of, blind hatred of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, <laughs> I consider them our number one rivals. Uh, yeah. I I don't care too much for Millwall. Um, not, not in a harsh way anything to Millwall, but it's like, uh, because a lot of fans of other generations would have grown up with us regularly playing them and other local rivals. For me... Yeah. Our biggest rivals has always been Tottenham, and the only other football club I have any ill will towards, for obvious reasons, is Sheffield United. Um, I'm not, I'm not particularly bothered. Okay, I am bothered by Millwall when we play them, but yeah. and obviously I'm bothered by the antics of Millwall fans and the things they chant. But you know, they're a League One Championship yo-yo club. Don't <laughs> You know, lions don't compare themselves with sheep, even though they're lions and we're irons. But you know what I mean. It's true, and and that's the thing. And as you said, even and even like going to your first game, it's like you know you, you get to experience. It's more than it's more than just the football, isn't it? it? It's 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 a sensory overload, particularly for a young kid, ten years old. You go there, and it's like you know, you've probably never seen that many people in one place. Um, I've been to a few games before, but I'd only been to watch Watford, and this is no disrespect, but Vicarage Road, I don't sure. know if you've been, Russ, but yep. it's yeah, a yeah. very compact, small stadium. Like, you know what people liked about Upton Park? Vicarage was like that, except yeah. historically with one big gaping hole in the side where they had a Victorian stand that was derelict. Yes. Um, you know, not, I know we're not here to talk about Watford, but the Pozos have done very well, invested well. They've now got a fairly good stadium, still tiny. Yeah. But um, I wasn't then going to Upton Park. It was massive. Um uh, a couple of things. So my first ever away game was Watford away because it was only around the corner. But I still yeah. remember my mum and dad wouldn't let me go without a parent. Um, quite annoyed by that. But uh, uh, my dad was ill on the day. So then my mum had to come. That was a nightmare. Had to explain everything. Why are they chanting that? Why are they cheering this? It's just a just enjoy like the atmosphere she wanted she yeah. wanted to know why we were cheering it was the Watford away I think I actually tweeted Jimmy one of my favorite moments or favorite moments while being on West Ham where he was getting a tweet back from Jimmy Walker about this because <laughs> he was like this was the day that like like uh, Jimmy Walker was just the hero of the day despite in fairness not doing an awful lot he made a couple of routine saves but it was like everyone was chanting him and he was in front of us I remember news got through that Reading had gone one nil down yeah. And we started celebrating and then he shouted, asked us what the score was. We shouted back and he started running around, punching the air and telling the subs. <laughs> like, I think we had a cord or something. He ran to the image there and he just shouted at the subs what the score was. <laughs> um, and then and it was just Jimmy Walker mania. The entire the most majority of the chanting that day was just about Jimmy Walker. Because we, you know, especially the first half when it was all in Watford's end. I think we went to, we went, uh, we went ahead early. Ferdinand and Harewood scored uh, that day, and, uh, and yeah, that was that was another great experience. And the other thing I've got is uh, I'm a rare lucky soul that has actually played football on Upton Park, although not an actual match. So I'm going to sound really, really nerdy here, but I'm a I'm a type one diabetic, and 
I think someone in the youth academy was uh, a patron or a, a, a big bigwig in diabetes sure. UK charity. Some someone who would that, and so would organise for a, a, a football day for people suffering from type one diabetes to go train with a professional football club, and it just happened to be West Ham. Yeah. Um, met Tony Carr, had um, you know shirt signed and everything there, and uh, got to play. I've got some photos, some photos. Some, there's an absolutely horrendous photo out there somewhere that uh, I have promised the West Ham where he goes. I show of me trying to recreate that Bobby Moore sort of you know, <laughs> thing where in the corner where he'd have where he'd be armed like that, and I just look horrendous. <laughs> I just look like my face, my my eyes are half closed, my hair is like randomly spiked at one point. From the, again, where I've just come off a football pitch and just gone like that, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I've actually played at a effectively at a kickabout and training drills on Upton Park, uh, one sort of June, 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 July day. It was Kerbish was in charge because I remember, I remember, I actually remember Tony Carr actually making a comment about how Kerbish might get sacked or something. <laughs> I remember that it was something like there was all this talk about how Alan Kerbish may be going, uh, yeah. at the end around that time it was before the season even started and once someone else was West Ham fan like us, I think Tony Carr was like no he's not going to get sacked <laughs> he was like Tony Carr at least acknowledged the rumours I can't remember <laughs> where the basis of the rumours are other than the fact that we didn't have we didn't we didn't have a relegation battle so therefore the season the 0708 season was deemed boring yeah <laughs> well, that's the thing people would say about the Kerbish the year wasn't it it was a boring era but it's been funny we've you know I'd rather have a couple of boring eras than a yeah, than well, that's we just need a year of just average just yo you know bouncing between eighth and eighth and eleventh you know yeah. like the second yeah. half of the 2001-2002 season just steady progression you know yeah. or 0809 we went on that majestic run under zola and you know came within it wouldn't say within a whisker but within i think three or four points of europe europa league that year yeah you know i mean that, that's that's what i think in terms of progression from last season you know I, I was talking to someone today about it and you know for me probably based on our squad eighth to eighth to eleventh is oh, eight, eight, eight to 11th for the occasional exciting cup run is yeah. all i want yeah, I've said yeah. before, all i want is the red nap years yeah, yeah, yeah. I, want. I just yeah. want or the later red nap years i want mm. 2007 to 2000 to 2000 that's what i want west ham to be mm. um you know and and it's one of the things i think we i think it's a very british thing so you know just i'll like things how they were when you were a kid is a good excuse especially in the you know dis discussing and discussing other other sort of things it's like yeah but that's because that's what i had like i you know i um i didn't really support west ham but i've looked back and it's like you know in the back of my mind i do vaguely remember Isle Berkovic scoring against Spurs. I yeah. vaguely remember Ian Wright replicating the Woodcock red card from that 98-99 season from when I sparingly paid attention to football after the 98 World Cup. Again, this, this West Ham, the slow build to becoming a West Ham fan was always there. It was just, you know, officially happened, officially happened in the summer of 2000. So, yeah. You're right, and that I mean for me that was probably my most enjoyable time at West Ham was that Red Nap era, um, not just from a football perspective, but just a, a soap opera perspective. You know, it had all, all these different 
characters. The only, the only thing that comes close to it is the Billick year, like that period of time, that, you know, summer of 2015, yeah. to sort of spring 2016. It was that petered out, especially that 4-1 defeat of Swansea was a bit like, oh, yeah, shouldn't have got our hopes up. But there were, you know, I did, we did, it was optimism that we were going to get top four, let alone yeah. Europe. Very you know, true. Uh, we beat Stoke and Swansea, and I think we do finish fourth in that season. Uh, it's like absolutely mental how after, and again, in hindsight, a lot of people look back to Allardyce years in hindsight, but at yeah. the time it was was miserable and frustrating because that 14-15 season, we could have been so much more of a bit better investment and yeah. a bit, you know, a, you know, not relying on go, reverting to four five one a flat 4-5-1. Um, and then having a breath of fresh air of a manager that was taking risks, but rather than wax lyricals about Billick, mm. you know, it didn't really work out in the end, but that just appreciate the time you had. No, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, and, and that, that's what that, and again, you know, hindsight and looking back is obviously something which you could, which we tend to do a lot of because we don't tend to have anything, you know, exciting to look forward to. And, and to be honest, looking back at it, you know, in terms of Billich, you know, you're thinking Pellegrini, you know, those those type of guys, even Zola to some extent, you know, Sam was out of them lot. You know, he he had a a, a plan which he stuck he stuck to. You know what I mean? In terms of a way of, as you said, it was boring. It was four five one. He got players in to do the job and fit the system, but there were, but it worked. You know, I think Billich was a little bit, you know. <laughs> You know, a bit haphazard, and is it some people might say taking yeah, risks, some people yeah, might say haphazard. And in hindsight, at the time, mm. it was fucking bad. like like under Allardyce, yeah. you were when you look at that Billick period, and you go, oh well. But actually, if you think about it, Allardyce was methodical. The big problem with Allardyce, and I, I say this all the time, and so there's no DT moment here where I'm, you know, going to say that backtracks. I've said this so many times on the show. Yeah. If Allardyce won games of football, I I wouldn't mind. I I don't mind about that. Because yeah. if you obviously not going to win every game, but if it was like this Moyes situation we're at now, where okay, there are obvious errors being made in the selection and the recruitment of things like that at times, but we are picking up on average the results we need. Yeah. If Allardyce had done that and finished eighth every year, we go, I'll take it because yeah. you wanted that stability, you want that sort of Harry Redknapp level of stability, sure. you know. Um, Whereas again, with Billig, as much as you loved it for that one year, 16, 17 season, he was clueless after time. Well, I mean, yeah, he had he had, he had players to sort of get him out of jail at times, to be honest. And you know that that particular first the the, the um obviously the bowling year, the last season, he he haven't had the the, the, sort of the euphoria of being the last season. So it was the last time we'd play this team here. It was the last time we played this team here. So there's always going to be that extra spice. Certain players like you know Gresswell and Noble played really out of their skin that did, year. Yeah their ability and i think they would probably even acknowledge that but mm. that season they was supermen because they were and, just so wiped up for it yeah and i think but then that's then then coming full circle coming back to the boys era now you know you can see as you said bar obviously maybe some some slight changes and some slight you know he's there does seem to be like a structure in place from my is perspective it, look at it. with the tools that he's got certainly yeah. the problem and again, rather than turning this into a show to analyze stuff, uh, is that it the problem is is that you know the, the recruitment's not there, mm. and yeah. as you've seen with Antonio, as much as I personally really rate Sebastian Haller, um, obviously Antonio fits the system better. If we had signed it, and I'm not if we had signed Josh, this is where Josh King was his priority over Ben Rama, probably for as a reason like this. Yeah. David Moyes has shown time and time again he has no problem leaving a big money player on no. the bench if he no. doesn't approve of them. 
Hernandez, Anderson, now Haller, he, he, like and Ben Rama. He mm. will bench Ben Rama until he trusts him. He did that with Fournells. He didn't trust Fournells initially. Fournells earned his trust. Now Fournells is getting the liberties that certain other players got under him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He lost his trust in Anderson, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's where the problem is. So we need, we do need some investment in January. But what I worry is that the board will go, we'll look at the position. We don't need it. Mm. Uh, and then suddenly January, what do you know? Sushek, sorry, Sue Fowler's, um, sorry, has uh, done his anterior cruciate knee ligament. Antonio's out for the season with a torn hamstring. And let's say, just for argument's sake, Andre Yarmolenko gets sold in January for whatever reason. So then suddenly you're ridiculously like very over reliant on Ben Rama and Bowen. Yeah. Ben Rama, who may not necessarily have been trusted by Moyes, and Bowen, who's in danger of being overworked. And you've got a huge hole in the middle that needs to be plugged by Robert Snodgrass or Mark Noble. No disrespect to the pair of them. Snodgrass is much better as a winger. And Noble just doesn't seem up did not seem up to speed last night no no he didn't it's all slowed down i mean he, he was playing his normal game but i think our game has moved forward somewhat since in the in, yeah. in those you know, lot, you know there's no flies on him it's just oh. that's the way that's that's the way football works sadly yeah it does and it's like for you know you're right so those the sort of suchek and, and and rice pairing are very dynamic in terms of the way they one moves forward one hangs back and da, 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 da. you didn't see it. i mean yesterday i was looking at it again and and it was almost like last sort of when it was mark and deck playing together deck was doing the holding back roll a little bit and you lose that impetus that hit. and you see when he had when Declan got the ball he really wanted to drive forward um because that's what he's been doing uh recently and so yeah it was it was it was a bit of a surprise when, when Mark's name was on the team sheet I'll be honest and I think it was for him because apparently he only found out in the morning um so, <laughs> so that probably was probably meant to start and yes. Lanzini picked up the knock so yeah. uh, it's a shame really I think it would have been a different different game with Lanzini um playing of those with those three as the three with him. So but anyway, anyway as you said, as you said, you, you, you do it, you, you know, you lot do all the analyzing stuff. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. not a bag. Right. Okay, let's talk about your eleven, Dennis. Right, um so if when we get on the on the on the team, then we get on the channel rather, uh, they pick their eleven. Um the only really criteria is they have to be alive to see them play, but they can pick whoever they want, whoever they want. They might have a little theme. I believe you may have a little theme for us um, today. So let's, let's tell us a theme. Tell, introduce the theme, the content. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a vague theme, but it's basically it's around disrespect. And when I say disrespect, I mean players. So that's what I've used as a lump to lump them all together. Players that either were, you look back in hindsight and we gave them unnecessary stick. Yeah. Or we didn't appreciate what they brought at the time. Or they were disrespected on their way out of the team or by the club themselves. So the, the owners, cough, cough, wink, wink, or other people have disrespected them or treated them badly. Sure. Furthermore, wider footballing world. So we may have rated them, but the wider footballing world not only did not rate them, but actually went out of their way to say they're only good because they're playing for West Ham um so that is the general theme uh i have gone with my strongest level and there is one omission that i have left out that on ability would one walk into the team ahead of the other person but i don't think the disrespect was enough it's a disrespect with an asterisk next to us and it's <laughs> only a very particular disrespect from certain fan groups 
Okay. So, and I will explain in full, give my justification. So hopefully everyone's got that that's listening. If not, you might need to listen to it a few times. Uh, there's a hindsight of watching it when it goes out, you can rewind it. Um, <laughs> but And uh, it will become very clear as we go through the positions. Um, I'm going for a 4-4-2 uh, because I am a 90s boy. Uh, yeah. And yes, so uh, should we start with the goalkeeper? Start with the goalie then, Dennis. So... I, I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want me to reveal my pick and then do my honorable mentions? Or do you want me to go round the houses and explain why or who gets the honorable mentions and then pick it the first of all? I mean, but you can do, yeah, just, just mix it up. Mix it up. So the goalkeepers have shortlisted Robert Green, yep. using Askelainen, and Lucas Fabianski. And I'm going to explain why all of them get there. Robert Green, I think, should be very self-explanatory. He made that one mistake for England and everyone was like, he's a bad goalie. People have only rated him because he played for West Ham. It's only West Ham. I'm sorry. He's saving the same, taking shots from the same players as all the other 19 goalkeepers out there. It's not a case of he just played for West Ham. He was selected in that team for England for a reason and he got caught out by a bubble. If he makes that mistake in a pre-season friendly away at Dagenham and Redbridge, no one cares. He did it at the World Cup. Um, That World Cup, People made mistakes. Rooney missed a sitter. Was that held against him for the rest of his career? No. People say, oh, but look at what he did after that. I said, yeah, but look at Robert Green. There's so many games, especially under Avram Grant. Robert Green kept us in it. I remember Arsenal away. He almost got us a point on his own. I remember an Arsenal fan who messaged me was like, oh, my God, you are right about Robert Green. <laughs> like, you're right. Because I used to go on in the six-form common room that Robert Green is a bloody good goalkeeper. It's not just because he plays for West Ham. So that's why we're green. Now, Uzi is because although, I, and I will admit, anyone who's got me on Facebook could see, I posted one hell of a rant about Uzi Eskaline and after Norwich away in the 13-40 season when he had a mare, gave away a dodgy penalty and free, I think free kick where he just rolled over backwards when it went in the top corner. It was like, well, at least jump, mate. But he was bloody good for us in that first season. Yeah. And he, again, like won us points on his own. A Spurs game where Gareth Bell broke all our hearts. Uzi really kept us in it. His shot stopping was amazing, but his reflexes had gone. So I'm going to say that he got quite a bit of disrespect. And you look back and think, oh, he was an older goalie. Whereas actually, until the, the uh, until the game five or game six in his second season for us in 13 14, he was a bloody yeah. good goalkeeper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, if you think. I think he'd only conceded one goal in five games at one point in that season. That was a free kick. and He was always liable. He was always a liability at free kicks, even at Bolton. <laughs> he not the biggest goal if I remember. I think he was only, I say only, I'm saying this is a five foot five bloke. He was only, <laughs> he was only six foot. So uh, five, 11, six foot. He weren't the biggest goalie. He so always untidy, didn't he? He always looked untidy with his shirt. He'd always like he blatantly wanted the short sleeve ones. I remember at West Ham, we'd always have them rolled up to the elbows. Yeah. <laughs> always like that look. I really like the goalkeeper kits that he wore. But yeah, usually I think gets a bit of disrespect. And the, the one I'm gonna have to explain and justify is is Fabianski. And this is a pet peeve of mine, is the amount of sites that are saying, Oh, we need a new goalie. Fabianski has made some brilliant saves for us this season. Yeah. Absolutely. And last night his footwork alone, his instincts as a goalkeeper stopped Werner from scoring a tap-in to make yep. it 2 nil after 20 minutes, which would have killed yeah. the game. Fabianski's getting a lot of disrespect, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for longevity. I'm all for a long-term plan. Mm. But we have two two or three very good young goalkeepers. We've got Trot, 
Anang, and I can't pronounce his name, but the Hungarian kid that's 17 that's meant to be phenomenal. Yeah. So I wouldn't go out and spend 30 million on another goalkeeper. I would just manage manage Fabianski well, rest him in cup games. Uh, I think he's good for another year after this season. Then you think about bringing him in an angle trot. That's what mm. I would do. It's yeah, no yeah. reason why, I, I, you know, he seems like a nut. He's a, he seems a very nice bloke every time you see him in an interview, and he's a competent goalkeeper. But Randolph, I, with the exception of those couple of games where it meant it was him or Roberto, there's not a lot of point in him playing here. And I think he's wasting valuable years of his career uh, as a goalkeeper. He's in his peak years. I would have, I would have persevered with David Martin, bless the guy, you know. Um, but my pick, based on the sheer disrespect he got after the World Cup, is Robert Green. Yeah. Based on that, because Fabianski has only been this season from our fans, and usually it was, yeah, he did get terrible at the end, but you just need to remember what he, you know, what he achieved for us in his first year. Considering um, we had had Robert Green in goal, you know, very calming presence in goal for I think six seasons by that point, and he left on a free. I think to get Yuzi in as an experienced, cool head for what was still an inexperienced defence with Reed yeah. and Tompkins starting, I think absolute underrated signing on a free transfer. And he always and you see always used to turn up when he, he always used to turn up as a you know when he came up came to Upson Park for Bolton. If I remember, he always put a good shift in. He always when he was playing for Bolton, he always used to play quite well against us. But uh, yeah, yeah right. He is the disrespected goalkeeper of this bunch. Uh, you know, not so much by West Ham fans, but more from the wider sporting world. People did not appreciate just how how consistent and how good that goalkeeper was. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Greeno's in. Greeno is in. Then it's you pick so next. We'll go from left to right. Okay. So go left back. And I've got George McCartney down, who yep. is a not the best ability-wise, but very consistent. I think now this is a strange. This is an odd one because he actually was voted our most underrated player on West Ham Way. We had some specials uh, during lockdown where we picked a player, a, def- a goalkeeper, a defender, a midfielder, and a striker that was underrated. And yep. on a controversial tiebreaker vote, George McCartney beat Ricardo Vazte. Uh, <laughs> quite controversial, uh, but George McCartney makes this list uh, because. Again, he's a player that when he when we re-signed it, he goes, oh, it's George McCartney. Oh, can't we do any better? Yet he was very consistent. He was so, he, he was at, you know, he started on almost all of our games when he signed for us in 2011 on loan and sturdy and, had, you know, he, you know, certain games such as Cardiff away where he ran the show down the left and even got on the score sheet. Mm. Uh, I don't, I, said, he, I don't think he was a world beater. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he gets anywhere close to our best 11 or nope. many people's best 11. For my disrespected XI, he's on the short list. And the uh, the other one is uh, his predecessor, which is Harita Alunga, uh, for the disrespect shown by uh, both Avram Grant and Sam Allardyce to him. I felt he was quite a consistent goal, um, so left, left back. He had second season syndrome after making a loan deal permanent, which a lot of our players have always yep. done. <laughs> the fact that he was dropped mercilessly for, you know, Wayne Bridge, who came in on loan and was a shocker. I mean, on paper, it made sense. But then yeah. after two or three games, you've got to go, um, this guy ain't up for it. This guy yeah. doesn't care. This guy's just winding down his contract at Man City. Um, and I think at times we... I mean, at times we played Tal Ben Haim at left back instead of a longer underground. 
you know i'm 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 Avram grant's biggest apologist on youtube but i can't defend <laughs> that i can't and then allardyce took one look at him i think he played the first couple of games and then he just moved him onto Doncaster. and i remember Alunga actually made some very cryptic tweets about allardyce when there was lots of pressure on allardyce in the 13-14 season about like when it's time to go or something like that and hashtag big sam and it was just like so something big definitely happened there so for that <laughs> Alunga makes this, but that Alunga's disrespect is all on, you know, him not being selected while still being on poor form, but being having worse choices ahead of him, yeah. and maybe some falling out of a manager. Whereas McCartney was just under appreciation. So for me, McCartney makes the list, and I have to say, left back was left back was the toughest position. Always is. I, I think our left backs have never been quality, top, you know, outstanding quality. They've never been bad. Well, not with a few exceptions. They've not been that bad, and I think they've always had the right level. Like Cresswell has got some stick, but his stick has been deserved, and he's overcome yeah. it and yeah. become appreciated. Same with mm. Mazuaka. So therefore, I eliminated them from the equation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they got the right level of stick for their performances, but then when they started playing well, we moved on from it. Whereas McCartney, I think, never got the credit in the first place. Sure. Yeah. yeah. In my opinion. No, so, I agree. Uh, my, my own personal nickname for him: Gorgeous George. He makes gorgeous. the. Uh, I, just, I, just, I just said it one time and it made everyone laugh. Just gorgeous George makes the makes the list. There we go. So, uh, <laughs> left sided centre back. Yep. So on the left side, so obviously I've separated the centre backs onto the left and right side. So there's a there's two for the left side and three for the right side. Because <laughs> okay, I I could it, it didn't mention this. So for the left hand sided centre back. First up, we've got a player that I think the disrespect comes from not remembering how brilliant he was for the first season he was he was first. In fact, he won Hammer of the Year in his first year. And then being remembered just for his injuries and and being you know being underperforming under Avram Grant, which is Danny Gabadon. Yeah. I think Danny Gabadon, people do not remember how good that guy was. It was just a constant groin and hamstring, I, well, I believe injuries. I feel free to correct me if I got his injuries. No, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone that knows but from my understanding you i remember one game watched him in 06 07 he just sort of broke down on the touchline not broke down like his, but he just he went on the touchline just holding his leg and it was like mm. he'd only just come back and it was like oh great he's been rushed back brilliant that's quality i think it was reading at home i, I could be wrong i could be wrong i know we lost that day that's what i can tell you we lost <laughs> Pardew was in charge and we lost um and then we rushed him back too many times he he, he missed almost he, 07 08 season he um he gave away a dodgy penalty against Portsmouth but that was a game where or a season where we had about 17 centre-backs didn't we yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he had third Nan Dobson Collins who then was out of ACL you had Davenport you had him, you had Neil filling in at centre back. I remember we had Pantsil filling at centre back one game. We had George McCartney filling at centre back one game. We had Johnny Spector. And then finally, James Tompkins made his debut that season, I believe, uh, against Derby. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it was Derby or Everton, one of the two. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we played so, we, we had so many injuries that year. And Danny Gabadon was either injured or left out. You know, he never really, 08, 09, he never got a look in. 9, 10, again, I don't really remember him playing all day. He finally got back into the team around the Avram Grant year. But by then, he was, you know, he was part, he, such Mitch Max partnering. He was partnered with very inexperienced Winston Reed, a very inexperienced James Tompkins. 
Um, and I think it wasn't think it was anywhere near a fair reflection on him. No. Other no. choice for left-sided centre back. Now this is a bit. This is a Dennis special, and I'm going to have to explain it. But Manuel da Costa, who was not the best centre back, I am not saying that, but. He performed very well. He scored some key goals. He scored a brilliant header away at Everton uh, for a vital point. Uh, he had some off-field problems, granted, but in a team that massively underperformed with very vulnerable defence that leaked goals, yeah. I think he came in and actually improved us to an extent. Oh, yeah. He had shoes to fill with James Collins leaving, uh, and he was quite inexperienced. He never went on to become a top player. He was playing out in Russia and um, you know, playing for Russia and other clubs. I think he ended up in Spain. Turkey. Which, yeah, in Turkey, Turkey. Now, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's um, a player that I think was massively, well, not massively misremembered rather than disrespected. And I think he, you know, he performed a lot better than people gave him credit at the time. Equally, I always love the moment that he squared up to Didier Drogba uh in away at Chelsea where we were it was a terrible game we had so many injuries I think Robert Green had the armband that day uh because Noble Parker were both out injured yeah. we were two down I think he just decided no screw this um <laughs> he um he squared up to Drogba and then John Terry was like no no Didier no no let me add to this he squared up to John Terry and DeCosta didn't back down and it was like DeCosta just squared up to two of the hardest men <laughs> in the Premier League at that time, you know, <laughs> all you need now is Vidic standing behind them as like the final right, boss. The cost was like, no, not having it. No. Just <laughs> shoved him back. I was like, yeah. So I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, but out of the two, though, I think purely because of how good, just how good he was, but because he's remembered for a poor season and then the, all the injuries in between, uh, it's got to be Danny Gabadon for me. Yeah, God, yeah. Danny Gabadon, um, absolute colossal. Colossus at the back, and you know, my uncle, my uncle Gary, who is a Liverpool fan, but he uh, he born and bred Cardiff. I remember, um, he told me that summer we went to go visit them in Wales, and um, he told me, he goes, you know, not going to try and do the Welsh accent. He goes, I, you know, I'm not too sure on James Collins, but with Danny Gabadon, you've got one hell of a player. You, you, you know, you expect him to probably be bought by a much bigger team in two years, sure, it didn't work out, but. No. You know, but this was when we were promoted and it was like we're gonna get a relegation battle. But he was like, Oh, you've uh, you've done yourself good there. You, you know, I'm not sure about your other defenders, and I'm not sure if James Collins can cut it in the Premier League, how wrong he was. But, <laughs> sure about James Collins, but he's a yes. part of they're great. But Danny Gabidon is the man, <laughs> is what you were yeah. saying. So Gabbers gets in there ahead of the Costa because the Costa was mainly I just think he played better than people gave him credit. No, I agree. Um, yeah. I agree, and he's he and he and he crept back into people's minds last season because he had a he had a fight on the pitch where he kicked off with um, Sofiane Faguli in a, a Serie A in a Super League game. Yeah, was, you know, ex West Ham matter of VAR as well. Yes, uh, I think um, wasn't um, I think fake Colton must have been all over that surely because I know Bam actually loves Turkish football. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he was he was so he retired then. He's, he's just only just come back, hasn't he, to the Twitter sphere, I believe. Oh, he's, only, he's only just come back, yeah, but he's been on Instagram this entire time. So uh, you got to you got to what we end up following on Instagram. <laughs> okay, I put Gabs in. Gabs old, Gabs. Who's next? Who's the his second centre back then, Dennis? Right, centre back. So we got 
a, we got a tough decision to make for right centre back. I mean, there's not a lot between these three for me. Yeah. However, I've come to a logical decision that should be popular with everyone. So number one, going to go for Anton Ferdinand, because again, that 05-06 season, the man was linked with Barcelona. Now, was he the best ever centre-back? No. Was he as good as his brother? Absolutely not. But for West Ham, he was always quite well. He had a tough spell in 06-07, but they had a lot of, you know, that was when him, Rio Coca and Marlon Airwood had a lot of off-field problems. I remember there was the old yeah. Bentley Boys Club. Yeah. I think... Um, like I think Teddy Sheringham had to take them all to one side and was like, "What are you doing with your lives?" You know. I think Teddy Sheringham had to have an intervention at one point with Anton and Rio Coca. Not so much Marlon Harewood, who wasn't as as involved, but I think and there was a bit of an attitude problem in the his dressing room for him. Mm. Um, but Anton was a brilliant centre back. In the 07-08 season, he had a very good season, probably one of our only consistent performers in a very strange season. A strange yeah. season where nothing happened, but everything happened. Um, and then was disrespected by the club being sold, presumably against his will and against the manager's will, on his way out to Sunderland. Now, I don't know if he wanted the move. I wasn't. I don't have any inside contacts. I'm not X. I'm not going to claim to be. But my understanding was was it was a move that no part the only party that wanted it was the West Ham board to desperate try, desperately try and raise some funds ahead of the season. Um, and also the fact that he's not quite as remembered, he's more remembered for not doing so well at Sunderland, going to QPR in a disappointing QPR team, and then out off playing in Reading Turkey and found his feet, found a bit of popularity and form playing League One, playing South End in League One towards the end of his career. And obviously, he's got a documentary out on iPlayer that I reckon everyone everyone should watch about racism in football, which is great. Uh, but I think people don't remember just how good he was for us. You know, in the, let's forget about the 05 06 season for a minute. 0405 that that run up to the playoffs, him and Ward, him and Wardy were solid. Um, very much so. Very much so. Um, the other, the next person, James Tompkins, for the way that he was disrespected on his way out, seen as well, yeah, the fourth best centre back of the or third, third, fourth best centre back of the club. And James Collins is happy to sit on the bench. So, you know, <laughs> we only see you as a bench player. We're going to flog you for, uh, in hindsight, not enough money, but at the time it was like. We're, we're notoriously bad at selling players. Okay, 10 million. We got 10 million for a player. Bloody hell. And he could fit in at right back, although he wasn't necessarily happy to do so. I'm sure he would have accepted the game time. And that season we had, say, 16, 17, we had no end of problems at right back. You know, again, we end up playing Reed, Nordvite, Antonio, uh, what was it, Arbeloa, who West Ham made him, convinced him to retire, which is brilliant. Um, Sam Byram, you know, no end of problems at right back that year. And if we had kept hold of James Tompkins, all goes away. You know? And then also there was like a, if I remember, as soon as Tompkins left, there was a couple of injuries to our centre-backs where you'd have probably ended up playing centre-back anyway. You know, it's... Yeah, like fight playing centre-back away at Leicester. Yeah, exactly. Or New Year's Eve, one of the, one of the two. Uh, no, it weren't boxing days. We smashed, uh, we smashed Swansea that day. Yeah, we did. Uh, but yeah, that's so I remember that. Um, so Tompkins got quite disrespected by the club by being deemed surplus to requirements or not so much surplus, but expendable. 
yeah. whereas should have kept hold of him. But equally, then if you're gonna have try and keep four centre backs happy, I can sort of understand. I can sort yeah. of understand that that's a tough thing to do. We sort of have, yeah, we try and keep three happy at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> or more really, because Craig Dawson as well, uh, and, and Winston Reed as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we signed we signed a guy today or, or in January that that Danish guy today as well. Oh, really? Oh, I, I actually haven't. I actually haven't seen that yet, but that's that's good. He looks he looks bloody promising. Yeah, there. In the gender, I, said that, yeah. I said that about Daniel Henry. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> he could be the next Daniel Henry. Right. Oh, yeah. So and then the final purchase at centre back, I really hinted at it with my description, but it's James Collins. Yeah, purely for how the board treated him. You know, he blatantly it all stems back from Brighton away, where he's sort of in a way stuck up for the fans by going to the fans like the money like where's the money you yeah. know um and i think the board were been very vindictive about that uh he's come back as an ambassador so that's probably stopped him from speaking out about it and probably wise for their move their, their part but simply for that james collins is on this list and james collins gets the slot because of the amount of disrespect and also the fact you know i don't know how you how you are with swearing on this channel but i'm trying yeah. not to swear but how the bleep in hell did he not get a testimonial? It is, it yeah. is diabolical. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, 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 I've said before that you know, uh, it's one of those things now with with football, and the money takes over from the the purity of football. I think so. You know, it was a commercial. It was you know, it's there's no loyalty in football now. It seems, um, you know, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. You know, you'd have regularly two or three players in your team in your squad who have played over, who've had a testimonial. You know, Mark Noble is the exception to the rule in the modern day. Um, and with Ginge, yeah, it just didn't. It was it was more of a financial thing. I don't think I think emotions, and it's happened all the time at West Ham. Billy Bonds seven nine nine. You know, Steve Potts four nine nine. You know, they all they don't. You know, even then they didn't. You know, Lyle or whatever didn't give them that extra game to get eight hundred. You know, it, it's it's always happened. I think it's our, it's our modern day version now. They, but they, uh, they get, they, the 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 lads themselves. I remember when, especially when the Everton game was safe. I think it was already set up. But Ginge came on at the end and took the armband off Noble. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me as if if it was a whitewash or whatever. And I think I'll be honest with you, Allardyce probably would have been sound with it. Give away a penalty and give it a ginge. Yeah. And just let him tuck it in, tell the keeper to stand by the post. They did a similar they did something for Stuart Pierce on his last game, I remember. Yeah. Uh, Brighton away, I think uh, David Besson deliberately pushed him over or something, got picked up the yellow card, they gave away a penalty, and Dave Besson stood by the post. <laughs> hit the crossbar <laughs> or something like that. I think Besson let him try to let him score, but he still missed. Yeah, <laughs> so it doesn't always work like that. And I know they do that in testimonies. I don't know if the FA probably would have given us all fines for organizing that or match fix quite like possibly. Nice let Jim score on his last game. But I think, Jim, I think Jim it's makes it, Jim makes it for that. Other yeah, thing. and I think it's a bit of a home run, isn't it? As soon as everyone gets back in the back in the stadium, um. Him on the pitch doing a half time interview or pre match, you know, saying goodbye properly. It's a home run, isn't it? It's an easy thing to do when, when we can all go back into the grounds. And I think that'll be, that'll be a, a good way to send him off and, you know, back, back off the board's back. So therefore, the board yeah. won't do it. 
<laughs> I think I think it's an easy one. Making life easy for themselves, but that's yeah, I think this I think this one's too easy. Uh, it's too easy that one. So we'll see. Right, okay, Gingy's in. Let's go right back then. Right back. So there's um, there's some. What I would say is there there there's there's one front runner for this, but I insisting on having honorable mentions and doing the analytics. So there are two. Gonna be honest here, two weak honorable mentions out of this. Yeah. So as a result, I'll leave the front runner to the end. So I don't want to spoil it too much and have people on the edge of their seats. So the first weak one, and again, it's quite weak, but for me, it's Zabaleta because I think, as yes, towards the end, he was shot, his legs were shot, and you had three players ahead of him. You had Ngakia, Johnson, and Fredericks, arguably ahead of him towards the end. And it's really frustrating that he got offered an extension on large money when you couldn't give Ngaki a full-time deal on yeah, yeah, yeah. the 10 grand or whatever it was a week he wanted. So he got some, although that's not his fault, that is the board's fault. You know, that's not Zabalette's fault. And he was quite honourable in that he turned it down. He goes, well, look, I'm not match fit. I've got a calf injury. I'll turn it down. I don't, I don't need it. Um, and I think he was the amount of times I remember me, Baz on Twitter would say the same thing about his legs are gone. People were going, Oh, Zabalet's legs are gone, and then he'll come out and have an absolute stormer. Yeah. Um, like his his um his assist for Anderson against Man United in the the 18-19 season, you know. Things like that. And I think I just think he got he was an easy target because of his age and because he was on high wages. I mean, but it's weak because towards the end he was bad and and more people than not did rate him when he played. Um, just his pace had got his pace started to go towards it the had, end. Of that. Yeah. Towards the end of his second season, his pace started to go, and it was completely gone. I remember what I was at Sheffield United at home. I was right by the away fans, by the goal, or right on the corner. So the corner flag was like here. I was yeah. here. Sabalet just got skinned. Yeah, it is every time. And it's. Um, it's- and it's similar to obviously in that nowadays. You know, I mean, back in the day, say, talk about Stuart Pearce, and we had that, yeah, you know, sort of a run, didn't we, of sort of aging left backs with Pearce and Winterburn and Chris Powell and you know Rufus. And, and to be honest, you could get away with that at that time of the football, you know, because now, now you have to be. Well, now you've got to be this. You have to be, you know, almost a winger in terms of pace as a fullback. Perfectly, without even meaning to, and also for the record, we haven't discussed this segues into honorable mention number two. There we go. He was fantastic going forwards, especially in his loan spell. But then when he went permanent, off-field problems happened, and he wasn't the same. And I always maintained he wasn't the same without the dreadlocks. But it's Sebastian Chamel, yeah, yeah, who you know. I mean, that man was so good in his first season. Yes, he was a poor second season, but that was a season where all of our defenders were poor. The only defender that came out of that looking all right was Glenn Johnson and Gordon Bennett, Rufus Brevet, you know, Um, you know, came out looking a little bit like a professional defender. I can remember things like Christian Daly tripping over the ball, uh, which led to a goal against someone that season. It was horrendous. I remember the season highlight where, you know, the, the old school, you know, the old school commentator, the old posh commentator we used to have in the old season reviews. He goes, and where was the defence for how yeah. many goals, you know? Uh, so that seat, so to single out Shamel for being bad in that season, if you still remember him bombing forward, it's all right. Bombing, he bombed, yeah. bombing forward against um, Southampton at home where we lost last minute James Beatty goal. 
Um, we had quite a lot of chances. I mean, Di Canio had a sitter go over the bar, but Chanel was bombing forwards that game. Oh, um, again, I could be remembering this wrong because I was 10 when I watched it on TV. <laughs> but, uh, but Sebastian Chanel, for me, does not... Or, uh, I don't think he gets... I think he gets more sticks than he deserves, but it's not quite the level where it comes to disrespect. So that's why he these two are the honourable mentions. But the disrespected right-back, for me personally is one of those ones where I said, in hindsight, at the time, I remember being on forums and fans slating, watering yeah. this guy. And when he got released on a free, they were like, well, thank God. And we had right-back problems for quite a while. I mean, Fobet <laughs> was our only solid right-back until, you know, really... I mean, Joey O'Brien was okay for times, but really until we we signed Zabaleta, yeah. like our last solid right-back. And it's Lucas Neal for me. I think Lucas Neal, looking back in hindsight, was a phenomenal player for us. Really weird. Naturally a centre-back playing right-back. Absolute colossus in the great escape. And But 07-08, he had a bit of a poor, poor season. was always caught out of position. You always get too far up the pitch. But I remember hearing back that he had, I think I think he, um, his wife was heavily pregnant by this point and there was lots of problems. And then he had the young baby. She was getting lots of sleepless nights, which affected him training stuff but he was always a leader you always hear great stories about how great he was in the locker room yeah. or i call it the changing room uh and genuinely was just a, a good decent bloke like i remember i went to the fan open training day in the beginning of the 0708 season fan side everyone and i remember just lucas neil signing my thing and i just go to him i go to him you're gonna be our captain he goes maybe mate maybe <laughs> like that big smile on his face he goes maybe and then just mouths <laughs> That's what he, said. he couldn't say he couldn't yeah. say but he was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah so for me i think he was a good club captain he was a, definitely a good club ambassador um always always a bit of a shame really because my mum really fancied him which sort of put <laughs> sort of put it off a little bit for me maybe be a bit oh no no i can't really can't really you know like Lucasville, but I always liked Lucas Neal. I always, at the time, even at the time, I was like, oh, he's not that bad. He's just not as good as he was when he first signed for us. And I think looking back, we could have really could have done with him in Zola's last season, just another leader alongside it, because Upson wasn't as good a captain as I think we thought he was going to be. Yeah. The captain, the armband hindered Upson, personal opinion. He doesn't make the list because I think, again, he got the accurate amount of stick for the accurate amount of problems. Whereas Lucas, that's why our Upson hasn't gotten near this list. But Lucas Neal, again, like those next two, those following two seasons, we'd have killed for someone like Lucas Neal at right back. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, definitely. As you said, you know, everyone we've interviewed around that time of of, of nothing but the utmost um, admiration about Lucas Neal as, play, as a player, you know, as a, as a captain, as a team captain, you know, not just a captain of the pitch, but, you know, a proper club captain, you know, he's like making sure that I think Anton, we interviewed Anton was saying he'd go around literally everyone and take a percentage of their win bonus when they did win um, and give it to like split between the tea lady and the boot boys and the ground staff yeah. and the, stuff like that. He always come across like again to steal a steal, steal a common phrase, you know, is it like, like a top bloke? He was just yeah. seen like a top bloke. You know, um, but yeah, so Lucas, that's the goalkeeper and a solid, you know, a pretty solid back four, really. I mean, yeah, my main concern was getting players that were really poor in this lineup. I wanted this to be a strong lineup that could, that you know, could, you know, in their era play together be quite well. I mean, 
I'm not too sure on the amount of pace, with the exception of Gabidon, in this defence. But you know, we're we're you know, I'm mentally, as I said, football-wise, I'm mentally stuck in the late '90s, early 2000s. So it will do. So, but we're going to more than make up for that in the, with a with an absolute stellar, stellar midfield. That's what I like. Uh, stellar yeah. midfield with some great honourable mentions. So we start on the left wing. Yeah. Um, now, disrespect can come in many forms. Um, this one does not necessarily come from fans, but from England managers and the Football Association. Uh, and I love the football, England manager at the time would have been Sven, and I, I loved Sven. But how Matthew Etherington didn't get a look in a 2006 World Cup beyond me. And I know you had Mark on the other day who said the exact same thing. Yeah, we're parallel thinking of on our thinking. Etherington out and out winger, you know. He's a, bit of a throwback to the you know the, the you know 70s and 80s when he played yeah. early 90s when he played always looked like he was going to do something on the ball mm. yeah. bad bad spell lots of personal problems in that 06 07 season one of the contributing factors to our downturn in form in my opinion was because the, the consistent wing play we had in 05 06 was beautiful mm. And I think the fact that in 06, 07, we had to bring Yossi a bit more central to be more creative in the middle to make up for Rio sure. Coca, you know, and I think we ended up playing Tevez left wing at one point, you know. So, but, you know, 07, 08, Edvington, away at Reading, if you haven't, go on, I think, I think, um, oh, what's his name? Vinny uploads a lot of games. Next time he uploads that game or whatever, you'll easily find it on his YouTube channel, like, Ed, Etherington's goals that day were brilliant, especially his second. His second, probably the best goal, Pro- probably I'd say better than his um, playoff semi-final goal because that was just a, a hit and hope. I, I think it's disrespectful saying hit and hope. It's one of those ones where he would hit that a hundred times, it would come off two or three. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. Both of those goals against Reading, especially the second one, like the placement was there. It was like Snodgrass is away at Fulham. Yes. Uh, it's the 18-19 season. It was a bit like that. But it was just perfect placement, top corner, bang, keeper, no chance. So everything's there. And then you've got Mark Keller, who played left and right wing for West Ham. Um, now, it's a strange one in that I just think this is a player that was bloody good for us. He you know, put in a great performance in the Intertoto Cup final. I think he, for the fact that a lot of I'll be honest, I know people, I know, not going to name them, but on YouTube channels that do not know who Mark Keller is. <laughs> uh, and couldn't tell me that he was French. I was like, what nationality do you reckon? He's like, Irish. I'm like, French. He's a Frenchman. Uh, he was never a top footballer. Never going to play. But again, this is a player that I think he, he he's, he's certainly an unsung cog in that in the players that we had in the Redknapp years. Definitely. His versatility on both wings was beneficial and a type of player that, you know, we really could have done with in recent years. Yeah. You know, um, was in and out of the team quite a bit. Could imagine he wasn't, he could have, he could have had options to leave, but stayed. I, not back then, I wouldn't have said it was for money. But so Mark Keller's there, but purely because of how much better he was, Etherington makes, Etherington yeah. gets enough for me. Yeah, how much he, uh, how much he, and also I'm a bit annoyed that um, I got his name on your quiz the other day and I entered it just as it went, just <laughs> as it went, right? I put the N, I literally typed the N and went to go enter, <laughs> like hovering over the enter button, and oh, it was like, yeah. time's up, 
Time's up. We had some time. There was honestly for the who did we who did we sell this sign this player from before the before the options came up. Yeah, before the options, and I was like, blind guess, just just click one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's great. But yeah, Matthew Everington, Matthew Everington makes it on the left wing for me. That's good. Um, so think? now we're going to go into the middle. Yep. And this is this is controversy. Central midfield is controversy central. And we're going to have all the controversial ones in one go. Okay. So we're going to start with controversial. So because of the disrespect he got when he left, especially considering he left Spurs. Yeah. Scott Parker. Fans booing him when he came back. That man, that man could have walked years ago. That man could have just slammed his stuff on the desk after the first Zola season and just gone, I'm off. You're you're ruining my England England chances. I'm only a standby at this World Cup simply because I'm in a relegation battle. I'm going to go to let's say you went Everton or someone like that. You go in and walk into that England team. I'd say similar to to how Gareth Barry suddenly started walking into the England team when he went to City. Um, I think the amount of hatred he got for leaving was completely unjust. he didn't kick off a fuss over leaving, as far as we we're aware. He played for the, he didn't refuse to play. Nope. He certainly the one thing I would say, and I'm saying this from personal opinion. So if he ever sees this, I do apologize. But a couple of times in the championship, I saw some of the tackles he'd go in for and I go, he's worrying about getting injured. Sure. But yeah. I think I think the year before, whatever, he would have crunched in, whereas he instead sort of kept his ankle back he didn't want to pick up a knock and maybe move away and that was what made me go now nah, he's definitely he's definitely because i think all the, what we were trying to negotiate was a loan because we were that confident of going back up and we wanted him back to next year and i think in the end we just accepted the you know a rounded up offer because i think he only had one he only had well you know he signed a new deal didn't he so we had quite a few years left on him he did yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah and then the other option this is where we're talking controversy central here uh is um because of the amount of you know stick he gets on twitter for not doing not getting five assists every england game and not scoring a bicycle kick every five games uh declan rice who you know can't do anything there's that fred look at how terrible declan rice is look at him oh he can't do this he can't do that i think he horrendous amount of disrespect um there is a player i'm going to mention he's not an honorable mention he's a dishonorable mention <laughs> He's a player that does not, I'm ruling him out, but I'm going to mention it in the Frank Lampard ability wise mm. gets disrespected from when he played for West Ham. We've had this yeah. on the West Ham way. Well, when he played for us, he was our best player. Yeah. Irrelevant of what was going on. He was our best player. Hands down. Joe Cole wasn't, Joe Cole would have been, if he had stayed around for a year, Joe Cole would have probably surpassed him because Joe Cole developed so quickly. But Frank Lampard, but he's not getting in this list because Frank Lamp, the amount of bollocks Frank Lampard has said in the press about always checking West Ham getting scores, having a party when they get relegated, saying how he wants to score the goal that relegates us, get in the sea. You're not getting in this lineup. You deserve yes. the disrespect. You deserve <laughs> you deserve the disrespect you get. But what I will say with an asterisk next to it is that we need we do need to at least acknowledge he was a phenomenal footballer for us. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Can't turn and go, oh look, there was there was a bit about maybe some work ethic, maybe towards the end he wasn't, you know, up for the relegation fight. 
worse or better. He still, I think that his last season, he, I believe he was our second highest goal scorer. Yeah, you see that fans go, oh, he was terrible. Oh. No, he was a bloody good footballer and he deserved that move and we got good money for him at the time. It's just such a shame he ended up being such a volatile brat at the end of it. Yeah. You know, he didn't seriously grow a pair, but end of rant. <laughs> but out of the two, and again, this is a based on the disrespect and not ability. This is why I've paired them together because ability-wise, there's an argument for one or the other. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Parker purely because the West Ham fans disrespected him. Although I think Rice gets disrespect from Twitter people, so mm. does everybody. I mean, last night, Jamie Carragher was really praising Declan Rice in the build-up to the Chelsea game. I believe, I say I believe, I had the volume turned right down because it was affecting my mic, but I believe what I heard was Jamie Carragher praising the hell out of Declan Rice's yeah. forward move things and saying that, you know, so what, he's not getting these assists. Like, he's doing everything else. But Scott Parker... Again, you know, he got booed when he came back, and I was shocked. Him, oh. like it was. I was at university watching on TV, and my housemate was like, "Are you seriously booing Scott Parker?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it looks like it. That was horrendous." Um, so Scott Parker gets in for me personally. Yeah, sounds good, and I totally agree. I'm, I'm, I'm in the Scott Parker camp. I'm very pro. It winds me up. You know, we when when we talk about West Ham, when we talk about what we want from our players, it, it's putting in a shift and. You know, I oh, yeah. would actually see him crawl out the players, you know, car park. He'd yeah. literally been carrying West Ham for three years on his back. And just because he wanted to further his England career and for chest infection and he still played, but he had the the na- the, the the nose thing. <laughs> that was uh, we still lost. It was one nil stoke. He had a chest infection and he missed yeah. the Liverpool game. And we thought, right, well, we're still gonna get spanked by Liverpool. And we yeah. did. We got it was horrendous, I think three nil down at half time. Um and uh yeah, we got um thingy. So um and then so the second centre mid. Yeah. So um look away Henry Tomlinson, but I'm going to suggest Radoslav Kovac purely because he gets regarded as one of our worst century midfielders of all time. And it's not just referring back to what we have on our channel. Now he is not great, but he is he is not the worst central midfielder we've ever had. We had Quasi, Sanchez, Wilshire, Horlock, um, Diar- Alu Diara. I mean, we've had some horrendous central midfielders. I mean, although I think it's a bit harsh, I'd say Robert Lee was worse for us in the centre of the path than Kovac. I would, again, I wouldn't put Robert Lee in the category of the others, but we've had some we had central midfielders that have been worse. I mean, Adam yeah. Nolan weren't weren't great in the championship. I mean, oh, it's, we're talking about championship players in 2004, but Radoslav Kovac compared to that, he scored yeah. three goals in one crack. He called a cracker against Everton and some vital goals in relegation battles for us, especially against Wigan. I mean, he doesn't score that game. We draw. We, we're not safe that day. And then we've got foot. Uh, we lose to Fulham and draw with City and we're looking over our shoulders, you know? Yeah, totally. So Radoslav Kovac, within reason, gets a lot of disrespect, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's top, you know, by all regards, a top bloke, but uh, you know, I'm not too uh, not not too sure he's the worst central midfielder we've had. You know, no, I totally agree, totally agree. And as I said, I I I had the pleasure of of meeting him once. Uh, one of the it's actually one of the um, one of the players' uh, open training sessions, and so 
I don't know if you went to that one, but for some reason, Sam put everyone in the upper centenary. It was absolutely pissing down for this open play training session. And he put all the fans on the upper centenary level. So no one could get any autographs or anything. And and I was doing the older commentary um, that day and it was pissing it down. And literally like it's been, been going about 35 minutes or so. Kovac turns up and stands right next to me. And he's like, so what's going on? I said, well, they're, they're, they're doing the, the, the five-a-side little thing. Like, Shouldn't you be playing? Yeah. I'll just stay here. And just literally just stood behind me for the rest of the training session. Almost <laughs> like he was, like, didn't want to get because it was a bit rainy. But yeah. <laughs> did, you have the, did you have the long blonde hair at this point? He or was he long blonde hair, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, about, I'm about five foot five, so would you five, 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 six. And so he's he pretty much crouched for about an hour so he couldn't mm. be seen. There we go. There's my COVID. Oh man, well the other the other you know right-sided central midfielder we're going for, though it doesn't really matter with these is um player very close to my heart. I had him uh you know, I really was impassioned fighting for him in my you know, underrated 11 i think he became the underrated midfielder i could be wrong um but it's valon barami who mm. at, like as does, he doesn't pick up pick up that injury against city he has a much bit bigger career and they still played for some big clubs I yeah mean, fiorentina hey they, they may not have done anything in a long time big club you know yeah. he played for hamburg he yep. played for napoli Okay, play for Watford. Yeah. Um, and you know, genuinely was a fantastic footballer. Um, you know, brilliant on board, played in that little tight midfield three with Noble, uh Noble and uh Parker uh, yeah. under Zola. And again, sadly picked just picked up that knee injury. He doesn't pick up that knee injury, he has a different trajectory. He left in a lot of acrimony because he was very unhappy with Avram Grant, uh, I believe, and sort of got sold. On the cheap, actually, I think we only sold him for two million. It's very cheap. I could be wrong. I think he had only had a short amount of time left on his deal. I think he only had a year, you know, half a year or a year and a half. Mm. Um, but you know, he effectively he could have made a difference moving forwards uh, in the ten eleven. But he didn't really fit in the way that, especially with, with how Park was playing, he didn't really fit in the way that Avram no, was playing. No, no. Whether the, whether Avram, you know, Avram was ever going to change the uh, the style of play, I mean, wasn't going to happen. Yeah, bad enough time making a substitution. Um, but uh, but yeah, Valon Barami gets in, and because he's far superiorly the better footballer than Radoslav Kovac, he makes it ahead of Kovac. <laughs> Kovac is the honorable mention because of the disrespect people make. But yes, my my, my fellow Swiss superman, uh, Valon Barami, he uh, he makes it so uh, so Valon Barami is in this Easy. 11. I said it's a stellar central midfield, so obviously, much, we so. could. I love him, but we couldn't have Kovac in a stellar in a stellar central field. <laughs> um, which is why if I'd maybe gone for four five one, could have had Rice in there, but I had too many strikers to pick from. Oh, okay. <laughs> too many strikers to pick from. I've narrowed it down to, you know, four with two of which two of them getting in. But let's go with yeah. the right wing now. Really? There is only one for me. But for the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to mention some more mentions, even though only one of them, one of them weren't really a right winger, but he played right wing for us. So uh, Lee Bowyer played right wing for us for quite a bit. And I think in his second piston played very well for us. 
yeah my he okay he didn't set the world alight but he was a solid consistent player he came into his own quite a bit in the 07 08 season had a bit of a renaissance i remember derby away he absolutely ran the show that day um so that's who i'm that's that's one that's one of the ones i'm going to put on the right right hand side of midfield um but that's the honorable mention about the one and again this is this is um a very weak, weak rationale i would say because i think it's very few but it's again with barami in that people don't remember how bloody good he was yeah and sadly he did return to us on loan um I'm, I'm eking it out of it he did return to us on loan and wasn't he wasn't he didn't fit Allardyce's style mm. and he wasn't quite he didn't quite have that yard of pace yet before but you don't play for chelsea arsenal and liverpool on a consistent basis and be a bad footballer you can play for two of them as david louise has shown and william but not free that's the rule <laughs> but it is it is little yossi yossi benayoun yeah. uh who you know if, if on if on the amount of regard i have for him would take the armband but as a leader it would have to be scott parker i'm sorry but yossi benayoun that there's a saying i like using to say it again makes me that man could football like that man could seriously football the goal against fulham the goal against villa in his first season the Fulham and then, and then Fulham at home the season after we played, he, he, he tried to win the game all on his own. Defensive yeah. work, goal line clearance with his face at Old Trafford when we won one nil up, you know. And he's only a slight little. He's not. He's not the shortest bloke in the world, but I'm. I'm more muscular than him, you know. Like he was a skinny guy, you know. And he, he still got up there and put his face. He, you know, put his face head on the line for us. Um, I think he, you know, it's such a shame he didn't stay around because I think him and solano would have been would have been a good little uh good little combination solano misses out on this i did consider solano as an option but i couldn't define it as disrespect because fans do look back and go he's going oh, but at the time he was considered the only really at that time that season the only good size because parker was considered a bit of a flop if you remember because he was injured and then he came in and didn't score all the goals and it was like but then we figured out that he's a different type of centre mid and he gelled well with Noble so it worked out second season but Parker's first season he struggled um to an extent but uh but that's why Solano doesn't get him but if we kept him for 07 08 and maybe had him as a 10 with you know resurgent Etherington and Solano on either side and then drifting out wide when Solano gets knackered towards the end Definitely. go four four two but saying, but hey, our loss was it was Liverpool's game, and Liverpool fans love him. And as much mm. as I get frustrated with Liverpool fans, as I've documented well on my own on my show, um, they recognise good players when they see them. Yeah, Liverpool fans have a habit of defending their players to the hilt, even if they're poor, with the exception of Dejan Lofren. But they recognise when you know if 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 you're if you sign for them and you're not good, they'll say it. They'll say he's a flop, like Christian Paulson, Koncheski when he went there. They will out and out say, oh, it's a flop. Mm. Benny you I've not seen met a Liverpool fan with a bad word to say about him. And yeah. first first player to score a hat-trick in the Premier League, Champions League, mm. FA Cup, I think, as well. I don't think it was the F. I don't think Something it was like that. It's, it's a quiz question, isn't it? It's a quiz question. Yeah. It was the first person to score a hat trick in. Duh, 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 duh. It's like some every something like that. But yeah, anyway. got, I, I haven't 
brought it with me, but because of simply because of my love of Yossi Benu, someone actually did buy me on the cheap online uh, an Israel football shirt. Brilliant. Uh, so obviously because of what the state of Israel do, it's quite it can be quite controversial to wear out in public. They're quite controversial. Yeah. yeah. But, well, also, um, I used to my uh, I used to work for a Jewish company, and uh, the guy sat next to me was called Yossi. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, I, you know, it was always I just found it hilarious. Yoshi. Yeah, it's, 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 it's almost common Yiddish name, but it's not an uncommon common name. No. Um, it's Joseph, but they called him Yoshi. Was his is his, his, his nickname? Um, yeah, yeah he's, he only retired. He only retired not too long ago. He was still playing. Yeah, I think it's retired. Yeah, he, he went back out. He went back out. Was it Israeli Premier League? Not the, not the great standard it used to be. They had some yeah. bloody good players out there back in the day, like you know, Avi Nimi. Yeah, Catan was good for them, not good for us. And it's one of my favorite things that I'm going to bring up like the, the, the anecdote of Yanid Catan. Oh my God. Like, I remember hearing that, you know, I, again, I mentioned it earlier before we before we went on, played for the Total Manager 2004. And in yeah. Israel, their players were highly rated. You'd sign them in the championship again. And Yanid Catan was one of them, I think. On that old rating system, is with like Defoe, for example, Championship Defoe was an 11.0, whereas Premier League, you know, Michael Owen was a 20.0. And Yanif Katan was like a 10.0, which you think, okay, that's a good, very good Championship striker when he was available cheap to come to you to sign a thingy. And I, you know, read it, oh, it's great goal scoring, well, good goal scoring record out in Israel. I've looked it up since, it weren't astonishing, but it was. A, consistent consistent you know seven to twelve goals a season and Yossi Benny recommended he only cost us a hundred grand and oh my god he was shocking he yeah. was so bad <laughs> I remember I remember just like the ball rolled the ball rolled over his foot one time I saw him play uh, um, he, like he made more so many more appearances than I thought he did but as a substitute this was one of our, those games where we rested the entire team for the FA Cup and he came on with like 20 minutes to go and first touch just you know instead of taking a touch he just tries to pass it forward and run onto it and it just goes out of play and he got, turns around i think he turns around to i believe it was scaloni and just shrugged his shoulders and just goes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah you'll see benny gets in um you'll see benny you know it's a star-studded midfield of etherington parker barami Benyun could have been strong with Rice, but I can't justify Rice going in because it's just idiots on Twitter. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Don't only watch highlights of England games or something. They don't. I mean, England's different, isn't it? Declan Rice playing for England. He's he plays as a, as, a, as a CDM. He is a CDM, isn't he? Really, and and he's he's not in. You know, he's not encouraged to do the the bombing forward, which he does at West Ham. He's a bit stifled at, at England, so they don't see the true. The true rice. I mean, some of the balls he was pinging that Chelsea game uh, oh, yesterday. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. his finish oh. for his disallowed goal was, was ama oh. an amazing side goal. Great. Anyway, so uh, let's, let's move on. on to the centre forwards. And uh, so, first centre forward, I'm, I'm going to go through. So it's a, a toss-up. And so, full disclosure, and I'm going to be very frank with people here. One of my picks is going to really affect, well, not offend, but annoy at people that watch this and i probably will get people tweeting me going you're an idiot but it's my list i'm yep. picking the player all right so but i'm getting in order to save it 
I'm going to say the person who nearly missed out. So this this one's honorable mention is the one where it's actually between them and someone else. But I'm going to say them now because I don't want people to go. How can you put him ahead? Is yeah. yeah. him? So yeah. so both of them. One of them's in it. So I'm going to say both of them now. So first of all, I'm going to go in alphabetical order. Yeah. So, so it's no hints as to who's who. So first of all, we're going to go with Craig Bellamy. Yep. Craig Bellamy was very good for us playing football, and at the time it looked like he went out the way he left was horrendous but if you read his book and i'm all for that oh yeah he would say it anyway but if you read the book and then look back at you know what scott dubry was like yeah or what stories that came out about scott dubry how he found how he handled, handled our financial mess and stuff like that is that he wasn't trying to leave and they were just trying to create a bidding war they were you know spurs had bid seven million or something City had with their money had bid eight, so then they went, Oh, Spurs had just bid 10, oh, Spurs had just bid 12, just to drive the money up. And then he went and spent it on Savio. Like, it was, I'd have kept Bellamy personally, I'd have kept Bellamy till summer. Yeah. Put you know, imagine if we had Bellamy at the end of that 08 09 season, yeah, as we were pushing for Europe, working up top of Colin Cole, blimey, you know. And I think people don't, people, yes, he had injury record was bad, but his goal, goals to game ratio was brilliant. Yeah. Um, he very rarely, I can't, I can't actually remember a bad performance. I can remember games where he didn't set the world alight, but I can't remember a bad performance. He had a good finishing record. And he, he was, was a nasty, was a nasty great, bastard great. as well. He was a nasty bastard, wasn't he? He was our nasty bastard. It's like with our net, what I used to compare, I used to compare this when people went on about Anantovic, is that He's one of those players that you hate until he plays for you, and then you absolutely love him. Yeah, um, I mean, I call it Robbie Savage syndrome, like mm. because my yeah. Derby yeah, fan yeah. said it was like it was like he always hated Savage when he plays for him when he when he does that little niggle when he whines to the ref when he gets someone a book and he go yeah go on Robbie yeah uh, so it's Robbie Savage syndrome but uh, for Craig Bellamy I've been very disrespected um, very good consistent performer for us when he played. Um, first season absolutely blighted with injuries and scored one of our most underrated goals, an absolute belter against Blackburn. We won four one if you remember. He came off the bench, ball bounced in front of him, and he just whacked it from the edge of the area, volley top corner, bang straight yeah. up there. Yeah. And also his game, his goal, his goal Chelsea away that season as well was bloody good as well when we got a point uh chelsea away off off volley on the turn ran into the fans then zola didn't celebrate but yeah i think craig bellamy very disrespectful and again as it's alphabetical order bobby zamora now west ham fans don't necessarily disrespect him but i think as a footballer he is technical abilities some of his goals were beautiful uh he did get stick initially at west ham if you remember i can't remember but i didn't really realize it until i heard the commentator say it because the commentator said you know they've taken a while to warm him but how how they have now when he scored the goal when he when we got promoted yeah um on a massive goal scoring run at the end of that season um but you know it generally like he went on to play for fulham he did play for england but you know i think was he good enough for England on a performance basis? No, but ability-wise, I think ability-wise, his technical skill. I mean, it was just with with Zamora, it was you know similar to Lukaku. He would have purple patches, like 0607, exactly, yeah. he started off really well, 
Okay, Charlton at home, you might remember one of those goals is one of the most gopping goals you're ever going to see where it's like the defender slips, Zamora tries to get on the turn and he hits it with like the inside of his boot. It bounces and bounces and rolls and Luke Young tries to clear it off the line and Scott Carson falls over while Luke Young's going into him and it just trickles in. And it was like, how has that happened? How has that gone in? So... Yes, he scored goals like that, admittedly, but a lot of his goals were bloody brilliant. And he had yeah. the one where that goal one where Zamora crossed it in and Raina palmed it into his own goal. So he had two very fortunate goals in that solid start to the season. Um and, and actually Villa, if we talk about it, Villa at home, we had one where Conchessi edited it in if you're in for it, it sort of brushed his thigh and went in. I and it was that. like oh, those five, they said five goals in four games, but three of them were just luck. I'm sorry. Goal scorer. I swear the season we went up in the Premier League for like a month. No goal. And he knocks it in. So yeah, four Liverpool. of them are like <laughs> Of, I think it was Liverpool or somewhere. He came off his arse and things like that. He was just like he was just. He said that he was in a purple patch, yeah. uh, and, he, and he would do that as a striker. You know, he would do that, Bobby. Um, but yeah, no, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, he's and he was. I mean, to be honest, you think about his goals. Um, you know, he's probably um, one of the most um, prolific scorers in 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 the world, considering how much his goals have been worth. He has scored two oh, winning. Yeah. Playoff Championship final goals. That's a hundred goals. Brighton up the league. Yeah, um, and he scored a goal. He scored, oh, he scored a goal uh, for Tottenham when they beat us in their cup final. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so that's a few hundred <laughs> million pounds worth, <laughs> isn't it? Writes itself. Um, <laughs> but out of those two, I'm going to say because well, because simply the judgment call here is that although the wider footballing world did disrespect Bobby Zamora a bit. The fans love him. Whereas everyone knew that Bellamy was a great footballer, but he was given disrespect because of injuries, which he can't really control, and a manipulated story about the transfer saga. So Bellamy just edges it mm. because I think it's with Bellamy, it's animosity, whereas Zamora, it's we think our player is better than you think he is. Yeah. Which I think there's too much of that in this list, personally. <laughs> There's a bit too much of it. There's Everington, you know, there's Barami, there's um, Benayoun, uh, there is uh, James, or James, not Gabadon, but uh, George McCartney, you know, and Robert Green. There's five players that have already got on that list based off that. Yeah. 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 I get you. And then number, striker number two. Striker number two in alphabetical order. So disrespected. This is disrespected by a manager. I think he was, and again, I'm an apologist for Avram Grant, but he was horrendously disrespected by Avram Grant and the board and the club. It was Alessandro Diamanti, who was absolutely phenomenal the season beforehand. Okay, yes, he was, again, blew a bit of hot and cold. He came with impact. He was a bit of a liability, a bit of a maverick at times, but he had a great work rate. He defended hard sometimes, most of the time. Uh, was always there for his fullback and had problems where at left back because of Ilunga's injuries and problems we had uh, Jonathan Spector and Deprella there more often than not uh, who were not natural left either not a natural left back or fresh as a daisy he was like Deprella was 18 at the time and a player I think we could have kept hold of I think he turned out to be an okay okay Premier um, or Syria 
Serie B left back and certainly could have done with him in the championship instead of McCartney. You know, disrespect to McCartney, but it saves you a transfer, you know. But that's beside the point. But Diamante also had to handle pay, being forced out left and handling, um, you know, lots more defensive work due to either players out of position or inexperience. Um, his free kicks were amazing. The goal against Birmingham, he could have placed that. Yeah. Um, nearly scored the greatest goal of all time against Hull, if you remember, where he saw Duke off his line and he shot from near enough the edge of the D of our own penalty area, try to chip him. It might not have been as far out as I remember, but I do remember. <laughs> and it hit the side netting. Brilliant. And it was like, if that had happened, I've adamant, we had a call defended it, and it came out to him at the edge of the D, he sort of spun around, flicked it in the air. And as it as it's on the floor, the first bounce, he sees it and just lofts it in the air. It bounces by the center set, by the by the uh, penalty spot. Duke is miles from it. Duke is like on the edge of his D before he completely misjudges it. And it just sort of skews as it bounces and it hits the side <laughs> net. And it was like that would have been the greatest goal of all yeah. time. Forget yeah. about Charlie Adam. He had about he had about 15 yards on Charlie Adam, if that, you know. <laughs> but uh, that was the thing. And then the other option, and this is from the disrespect he's currently getting from the fans. I think you know what's coming if you, anyone watching this knows me. It is Sebastian Haller. Because yeah. I think Sebastian Haller is being asked to play in a system that doesn't suit him. He's being asked to drop deeper, which does not fit not only his style of play, so if you want to call it an attitude thing, okay, but also his technical ability. We saw it last night when Chelsea players slipped and he dodged round him and went through. He does not have the pace to play as a lone centre forward. He yeah. needs players yeah. up to support the pass and run and make the space and ghost in. That's what he did at Frankfurt. Go watch him play at Frankfurt, Frankfurt and where he played, he played in Holland, which I believe was Twent, but I haven't got his things in front of me. I'm 99% sure it was FC Twent. And he always played with one partner or in a free where he's a deep lying forward in a free with two wingers pushing up. Yeah. Sorry to go on a bit of a tactic thing here, but fans suddenly, because he's not running around and doing everything, you know, run, you know, running is not part of his game, really. No. He's not all carrying player like Antonio is. Fans are going in on him more. Like, blame the management, blame the transfer policy. Blame the fact that he was signed as a lone striker when he was never a lone striker because we didn't yeah. scout properly and we put all our eggs in, in Maxi Gomez's basket, but David Sullivan beamed it all up as per, um, allegedly. So I don't want to get sued, allegedly. Um, so Sebastian Haller uh, is getting, you know, and then you've got people like, and again, I'm just going to call him out again because I called him out everything. You've got people like Lee Clayton, uh, editor at TalkSport, tweeting about, oh, he scored, but he didn't smile. Could care if he smiled. Uh, could care. Nicholas and Elka barely smiled. He was a bloody good centre forward. Yeah. Uh, but what is even worse is that Halle does smile. There's a video West Ham has got out now yes. where um, every time he smiles, his head gets bigger. And by the end, yeah. his head is a big screen. I think I actually sent that to Lee Clayton. Um, but uh, so it's not just, I'm singling out Lee Clayton here, a bit harsh, but lots of fans do it. Uh, but then you got, but the fact it's the editor of TalkSport, it's like, is that what TalkSport care about? Whether a striker smiles when they score like really no wonder they're owned by the sun uh i believe they're owned by the sun i could be wrong there um they, yeah they are, they are I, again i don't want to get sued um but uh uh <laughs> but yeah so sev haller and sev haller is, is gonna anger a few people sev haller is my choice uh sev haller is my choice to go in here because it's just the hounding of him is getting a bit much i i, I i'm defending him 
but as anyone who watches the West Ham way watch alongs will know that I will call him out. Yeah. I did give him an absolute bollocking at Leeds when he missed those sitters, mainly because of how much I defend him. But it's the fact that fans expect him to be Antonio and Anantovic light yeah. while scoring his bicycle kicks while walking around with a big smile on his face uh, <laughs> while being caught offside. He needs to smile when he's caught offside or something. And then yeah. if he does, people go, oh, look at him smirking. He doesn't respect the club. He can't win the poor guy, you know. Um, he, he's not suited to the system. And the animosity and hatred, I'm going to actually go and say hatred that I see on Twitter for him, it goes beyond disrespect, in my opinion. There's an actual online vendetta against this bloke by his own fan base, and he's actually scored as many goals as Mikel Antonio in the league this season. I'm not even talking about the games against Hull, you know, Hull and Cholton. In the league, he scored three goals. In the yeah. league, um, Antonio scored three goals. Antonio's overall play suits our system, yes. Who's yeah. the better footballer? Hmm, hard to tell because they're two very different forwards. I'll tell you what, though, they'd make a bloody good partnership, wouldn't they? They'd make a bloody good partnership. So how about that? How about, hopefully, David, but how about being a little bit more constructive with it? Uh, and, right, instead of just shouting, oh, hello, oh, hello, oh, hello. So that's why Sebastian Halle gets in there, and you're probably going to get a lot of people annoyed by that because, yeah. you know, thingy, but I'm sticking by that, you know, Normally I say don't at me, but if you want actually at me, my handle's down here. I'll I'll, I'll debate this with you. But Sebastian Haller gets in. No, into... I agree. I agree. I agree, with Sebastian Haller. And you can tell. I think, and I had this discussion the other day. It, he is. I think he's a better reactionary player than he is when he has time in his hands. Do you know what I mean? So you know that that sort of obviously you know, the, the bicycle kick and obviously did it against Leeds. And, you know, that's that's a reaction. He sees it, he reacts. Whereas, you know, like Sheffield United, he got the ball, he thought, fuck it, I'm going to hit it, hit it. The reaction, didn't think about it. When he, obviously, Man United, when he when he famously sort of beat yeah, the man, yeah, yeah. thinks about it, he overthinks about it. And I think when he just lets his instincts run, that's when you know he's a good player. Because then yeah. you've got, it's a reaction thing. And he is a good player. You know, as you said, he scored like you know, but it's 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 system, and unfortunately, you know, too often than not, players are bought not just for West Ham but for other clubs as well. They're bought in position, they're bought to fit the team, but not necessarily the the, the system. And, and we didn't scout him right. We wanted Maxi Gomez as a lone striker. And, totally different people. And it's you know, it's what it is. I think his goal return has been okay. Um, I think if he hadn't have been dropped post lockdown, I think he would have picked up goals. Mm. Maybe not as many as Mikel Antonio. But he certainly would have picked up goals. But here we are. So that's my 11 of Rob Green, uh, Rob Green, George McCartney, Lucas Neal, Gabidon Collins at centre back, Etherington and Benayoun on the wings with Barani and Parr from midfield, and a strike partnership. And I think this would be one hell of a strike partnership. <laughs> Bellamy, Bellamy, and Halle. And for the record, I really deliberated between Zamora and Halle because I was like, if I boot out Zamora for Halle, I'm going to get murdered. But <laughs> I look, that's why I compared Zamora to. Um, Zamora, Zamora to Bellamy to soften the blow, but when I I was we're actually weighing up that argument with Halem and Benny, and it's the fact that it's our own fan base slaughtering someone for trying their best. Yes, the system doesn't work compared to oh, our player is our player is better than you think it is. Wow, which effectively is what the uh, what the argument for the disrespect of uh, Zamora is. Don't get me wrong, I think he's disrespected. I think everyone that I've mentioned has been dis there's a reason why they've been disrespected. Yeah. Uh, whether it's clutching at straws or not. Um, but yeah, well, so that's my 11, and I uh, hope uh, you've enjoyed it. <laughs> so very much so. Thank you for your time, Dennis. And 
just just you, you today is the longest episode we've had because that's how much i talk <laughs> we, just, we, spent, we spent 10 10 15 minutes talking about netflix so <laughs> that's it and, and we had a yeah i think the 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 longest one was uh was last week actually they tom henry took took the accolade off of nick marsh and uh and now you're top i'm you're top. top longest one oh no so you got the west ham quiz in three hours so i'm just going to go get uh get, get everything set up exactly. have my dinner <laughs> get that set off and I'll, I'll get that going lovely stuff thank you so much for your time dennis and obviously thanks to everyone for watching well done well nice done the end. um and for me and from dennis take care everyone stay safe wash those hands come on your irons and we'll see you again very very soon take care everyone much love Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.